Hello, Skylit listeners. We have a special surprise for you. Next month, acclaimed author Marlon James will be headlining our author talk series. And to celebrate, he gave us some signed copies of his new book, Moon Witch Spider King, the second book in his Dark Star trilogy, just for our podcast listeners. The first 50 people to pre-order will receive a signed copy. Make sure to add the phrase Moon Witch Red in the order comments before checkout. That's Moon Witch Red. Signed copies are available while supplies last, and this exclusive offer ends Wednesday, February 9th. Happy reading! You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Kai Harris to talk about her debut novel, What the Fireflies Knew. Kai Harris is a writer and educator from Detroit, Michigan, who uses her voice to uplift the Black community through realistic fiction centered on the Black experience. Her work has appeared in Guernica, Quelly Journal, Long Form, and the Killens Review, among others. In addition to fiction, Kai has published poetry, personal essays, and peer-reviewed academic articles on topics related to Black girlhood and womanhood, the slave narrative genre, motherhood, and Black identity. A graduate of Western Michigan University's PhD program, Kai was the recipient of the university's Gwen Frostick Creative Writing Award in Fiction for her short story, While We Live. Kai now lives in the Bay Area with her husband, three daughters, and dog, Tabasco, where she is an assistant professor of creative writing at Santa Clara University. Thanks so much for being here, Kai. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on your debut novel. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was Still taking it all in. Yeah, it was such a joy to read. I'm so excited to talk to you about it. And do you want to start us off by reading a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I'll just read a bit from the first chapter of the book. <clears throat> we there yet? My big sister Nia unbuckles her seatbelt and lays across the back seat beside me. Her skin shimmers in the sun from a half-cracked window, which lets a tiny breeze slide in that carries her cottony hair back and forth, up and down. People say Nia is the one who looks like mama. They have the same oval eyes and mahogany skin. My eyes are rounder and my skin pale yellow, like the color of french fries that ain't quite cooked. Mama ignores Nia's question, probably because it's about the 10th time she's asked. My nose finds the smell of rotten banana and that's got me thinking back to that night, almost six months ago now. The smell fills the car, just like the stench in our old basement that stuck around even after daddy was buried. I dig my hands into the seat cushions and touch something sticky, but it's more peppermint sticky than banana sticky. Days ago, laying with a book in the back seat, one of my favorite places now, I got interrupted by mama and Nia right outside the car door and yelling, like always. They ain't see me, so I crept out before they could, hiding the banana I was just about to bite. I hid it in a perfect place to come back for later, once all the fighting finally stopped but it never did, and now I can't remember where I put it. I rub my eyes as I look around. I wanna fall asleep, but now I'm awake and smelling that stink. Nia don't look my way, just stares out the window, so I stare out the window. Ain't nothing but flat green spaces. Cars speed by on both sides. I like that mama drives slower than the other cars, cause then I don't get car sick. 
I count signs bigger than me as they blur across my reflection in the car window. There's one for Toys R Us with a big picture of the new Easy Bake Oven and Snack Center right in the middle. A now open sign for a new restaurant called Ponderosa. And one with a picture of a bunch of kids playing with dirt and words at the bottom that say, new name, same fun. Visit Impression 5 Science Center ahead in 28 miles. I want to ask mama to stop. For the restaurant or the science center mostly, but even a toy would do. But I know we ain't gonna stop. So I count and count and get to 22, then I'm bored. I find my book between the seat cushions and open to the first page. This is gonna be my third time reading this book about Anne, The Green Gables Girl. I wonder what a gable is and why it's supposed to be green. I can't always understand the kind of words she's using because nobody I know talks all proper like that. But in some ways, Anne is just like me. So it's my best book. Besides, even if I don't always get her way of talking, I like the sound of her words, all big and eloquent. Ever since I picked it from my school's lost and found, I've been reading about Anne and even learning how to talk like her. I never had too many books of my own, so when nobody at my school came for it, I did. The sun was coming in at the window warm and bright. The orchard on the slope below the house was in a bridal flush of pinky white bloom, hummed over by a myriad of bees. I rolled the new words over my tongue, slow like dripping honey. Myriad, myriad, myriad. Orchard. What is an orchard? Bridal flush of pinky white bloom. Sometimes I try to use words like my book, but when I do, Mia teases me, saying I don't even know what I'm talking about. But even if me and Anne don't look the same, we can still talk the same and be alike in other ways. I read six more pages about Anne showing up in Avonlea and trying to fit in where she don't belong. Then there's a loud clanking sound and the car slows down. Mama mutters a bad word under her breath, the one that starts with D. I said that word once just to test it out when nobody could hear me. It felt good. I repeat it now in my head like a silent chant, once for each time our car has stopped working, maybe 12 since we got it about a year ago. But at some point, I stopped counting. Seems like our old Dodge Caravan, nicknamed Carol Ann, like the girl in that scary poltergeist movie, breaks more than it works. Mia, KB, get out and push. We know what mama's gonna say before she says it, so my seatbelt is already undone, and Mia's halfway out the car by the time she finishes the sentence. We step out into the sun at the top of a stubby hill where the smoking car is stalled. Back when daddy used to push the car, his muscles would grow big as he pushed, sometimes even up the hill. I'm happy we get to go down the hill at least. This is stupid, Mia mutters, but I pretend not to hear. Instead, I keep quiet, we keep pushing, and mama keeps staring and smiling. Mama always smiles, even in the bad times. Her smile is like a gigantic dripping ice cream cone after I stuff my belly full with dinner. Even with a stomach ache, I want that smile. I need that smile more than about anything in the world, I think. Mama has different smiles for different things. This smile, when the car hisses and puffs and then stops, is squeezed tight across her face like the drawn-on smile of a plastic doll. Ugh, Mia groans from the other side of the car. I still pretend not to hear, wiping sweat from my forehead and squinting up at the hot sun as I take off my favorite rainbow jacket with holes where there should be pockets and tie it around my waist. Carol Ann don't take too much muscle to push, probably because we're going down a hill, and also because we ain't got much stuff with us. We drove straight from the night's end that's been, that's been home ever since we lost our real house, before we even had a chance to finish crying for daddy. Before this, we never stayed at a motel. It smelled like cigarettes mixed with fried chicken grease, and sometimes we found bugs in the mattress, but it had good stuff too. Our first day there, Mia showed me how to trick the vending machine while mama talked to the man at the front desk. We got money, I asked, eyes scanning back and forth. There was all kinds of good stuff behind the glass, like chocolate bars and potato chips and even a toothbrush. We don't need none, replied Mia matter-of-factly. It's going to give us stuff for free? My mouth got real dry thinking about all the chocolate I could eat. 
one of them things we don't get a lot, but still one of my favorites. Nah, Mia put both hands up on the glass, unless you know the secret trick. She pushed her hands against the window, banging against it till down fell a bag of chips and two packs of gum. Ta-da! Mia stuck her hands down in the bottom and pulled out her stolen treasure, stuffing everything in her pockets before Mama could see. How you know that? You been to a motel before? I tried to reach into Mia's pocket, but she swatted my hand away. No, KB. Motels ain't the only places with vending machines. Mia dug in her pocket and snuck out two sticks of gum, passing one to me and popping the other in her mouth. You ain't ever seen nobody do that before? I shook my head, but Nia was already walking away. Turns out, tricking that vending machine wasn't the only new thing I learned at the motel. They also had hair dryers that stayed stuck to the wall and people in uniforms that would come clean your room every day. After the first time I let them in, Mama came home from work at the Chrysler plant yelling and said we can't ever let housekeeping do chores in our apartment. She likes calling it that better than the motel. We learned that the hard way. And even though I thought chores were over when we lost our house, still I did as I was told. Almost there, girls, Mama yells from the front seat. As we push the car, I dig my worn shoes in the dirt. Except it's more like mud now, even though there ain't been no rain today. I look back to see my own small footprints besides Nia, beside Nia's bigger ones. The ground looks like it's decorated with big and small polka dots as my shoulder shoves into hot metal. It's a good feeling to help Mama, but every time I look over at Nia, she frowns. That's it, girls, Mama sings as we finally reach the bottom of the hill. The car makes a loud pop, and then it's working again. Mama pulls on her braids as she waits for us to climb back inside. Nia's first, quick. I take my time so I can catch Mama's eye in the side mirror. And there she is, just like I knew. First, one week. Then she blows two kisses. I catch the first and kiss it, catch the second and blow it back into the wind. Our special thing, just me and Mama. I buckle my seatbelt beside Nia and try Mama's smile on her, but all it gets back is another frown. Mama's watching us through the rearview mirror before she pulls off, and I wonder how we look to her. Two daughters, one who smiles just like her, one who frowns just like Daddy. Either way, she smiles at us both the same before driving again even slower now. Thank you so much for sharing that and giving us a little, a little intro into KB, who I love so much. She just broke my heart and like put it back together again a million <laughs> times. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Throughout this story. And so, so much of your, of your work focuses on the experience of black girlhood. And when you decided that you wanted to write a novel or this novel was inside you and ready to to be written when did you decide or how did you decide that it would be told by by KB in her own voice rather than either someone telling her story or in a outside perspective that was that was one of the first things that I knew about this book actually um, was that it was going to be told uh, through KB's voice uh, there were some thoughts along the way of, you know, should, should this be told for someone else or should this be told from an adult KB looking back? Um, because it was really complicated to stay mm -hmm. in the head and in the voice of yeah. a 10 going on 11 year old, a whole book. But um, I really wanted to prioritize the her voice and I wanted to really showcase uh, the unfiltered experience of Black girlhood. And that was really important because I don't think that there is a, a lot of that uh, in literature in that way of just, you know, being uh, written first person, present tense. It's very immediate. 
We're in KB's head all of the time. We don't know anything that she doesn't know. We're right there with her every step of the way. And I think having that perspective of Black girlhood is extremely important. And also just uh, especially once this won't really be a spoiler, but because we don't want to <laughs> do too much of that. But once um, KB and Mia go to live with their grandfather in Lansing, she is fully, again, surrounded by adults um, right. for the majority of the time that she's staying there. Um, and so not just that Black girlhood amongst peers, but then around adults. And there are so many instances in this story where KB is either hearing something, experiencing something that she's trying to figure out and understand. And as a reader, an adult reader, you know what she's talking about, even though she's right. confused. And you have these sort of um, either emotions about remembering your own experiences like that. Um, and so I just wanted to hear a little bit about uh, constructing that part. And I guess it would be KB's naivete just because of her age, um, but constructing the world around these experiences as you've gone through them and you know what they are, but then having to kind of pull back and, uh, or I guess, put up a wall around them and take away some of the details. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There were times when I had to do checks and read through scenes and think to myself, would she have known that? <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how would she have known that? So there was a lot of her listening to people's conversations, um, you know, a lot of her guessing things, asking mm -hmm. questions, not really knowing um, I, I I had to use the adults in the story to to get some information across to her. Uh, so that was that was really tricky. And I wanted to I was interested in writing that way also because I wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, the young people in our lives are right there. Right. And they're listening and they're paying attention. And a lot of times they know a lot more than we think that they know. So yeah. Even as we're journeying with KB, and there are some things for sure that the reader will know before she knows them, eventually she pretty much knows everything that's going on, yeah. right? She's figuring it out. And um, so I think that that's something I wanted to highlight is the, the importance of adults talking to, to the young people in their lives about the things that are going on around them. Uh, because if, if, there's, if there's trauma in the household, best believe that kids experiencing that trauma, yeah. they're aware of it and they need space and, and time and conversations to process that just the same way that the adults. And that was, I think my, my favorite, I was going to say my favorite relationship in the book was KB and her grandfather. But then once we get towards the end and work through with KB and Mia, I'm like, yeah. well, maybe, <laughs> maybe KB and Mia too. Once yeah. they, they go through their stuff, but they're, the relationship with KB and her grandfather is so gentle and kind. Um, and I, there are so many scenes of them together because Nia is too cool for school and doesn't want to, <laughs> doesn't want to hang out. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell us either a little about if it's your experience that you built off of, like with your, um, like the elders in your family and your community and that relationship in terms of KB, like having a very strong relationship with her grandfather, especially one who was absent. They hadn't spent a lot of time with him. They didn't really know him before their mom dropped them off there, but then he ends up being um, 
this real wealth of knowledge for KB to kind of understand where she came from and who who she is and a lot more about her mom too. And right. I think that that is something that either in so many different circumstances, a lot of people have lost that. A lot of people don't have that that wealth of knowledge to gain from their elders and ancestors anymore, or people are, some people are gaining a new appreciation for it since as a, a community and a world we've been experiencing so much loss, um, right. that people are finding a new appreciation for that. So if you could tell us a little bit right. about the importance of that relationship and how you put it together. Absolutely. So uh, the, the only part of the novel that I would say is, is, somewhat autobiographical is the setting. Um, I'm I'm from Detroit and I had a grandfather who lived in Lansing and I would spend summers with him. Um, My grandfather and I were really close. So we, you know, we didn't, uh, there was no estranged aspect to our relationship. And when I first started this project, it was because I wanted to feel like I could spend some more time there in those uh, summers that I used to spend with him. My grandfather passed away when I was 12 years old. So this was a a, a really uh, meaningful opportunity for me to return to this place and build a new world and a new story there. Uh, so I, I felt very invested in this relationship between KB and her grandfather. Uh, because it's a very different relationship than the one that I had. Uh, you know, it was it was brand new. She was basically just meeting him and trying to figure things out. And he was pretty grumpy and pretty quiet and pretty hard to <laughs> hard to get through to. Uh, but you know, if anybody could get through to him, it was going to be KB. It was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, as I was writing, I just started to, uh, you know, I think things started to happen that I wasn't necessarily making happen or I wasn't thinking about it that way but after I read it I was so thrilled to see all of the the moments where we do get this kind of generational passing on of 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 legacy of knowledge of of family between granddaddy and KB and that also became one of my favorite um parts of the of the book as well you know I think that that's so important and uh, I grew up, I grew up pretty close with my, with my grandparents. Um, and, you know, now at this point, all but one of my grand, grandparents have passed away. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, hopefully it might also serve as a, a reminder of the preciousness of those uh, relationships and spending that time and looking through old photo albums and learning how to cook recipes and just, you know, listening to stories about, about the past. Well, and the fact that granddaddy then took that, that he saw the opportunity with KB as a way to also sort of heal his relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. who he had had, who he had struggled in his relationship with, but also that he was there when it, when she needed him. Right. Um, and there's also so much, uh, so much tenderness in the, the circumstances of mama's uh, absence. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we could say, I don't, I was really expecting the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just afraid that it was going to be so terrible. And because that's what, that's what we're conditioned to think that, Right. Any anyone that's gone is and has disappeared. It's for either terrible reasons or for selfish reasons. Um, right. And this was a selfish reason, but a good, a very good one. 
right. um, a necessary one. And uh, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you, we talked about the fact that we need to be more honest with the young people in our lives, but the way that granddaddy decided to share this with KB. And again, she was the only one asking Mia didn't really ask, but also the decision for him to not even just sit them both down Mm -hmm. and tell them. Um, But that those choices in terms of telling the story and how they strengthen those relationships or um, created more boundaries between them with KB then knowing a secret that Mia didn't know. Right. So granddaddy isn't expecting KB to, to get through in the ways that she does. So uh, originally it's, it's his plan to just take care of the girls until their mom comes back for them. And he doesn't expect that he's going to tell any secrets that he's going (laughs) to get into anything um, much deeper than that. But uh, KB, you know, with all of her questions and all of her um, interest and all of her uh, just, you know, who she is, she's able to uh, get him talking, basically. And, you know, you'll notice at the start of the novel that he barely speaks. Yeah. And uh, eventually he's talking to KB all of the time. But that's still something that really for him is only taking shape with KB um, because of the ways that she's allowed him to open up in that way. And and actually, that's something that I wanted to use KB's character to do. So there's a a line early on where KB mentions that in her family, she's learned that you just kind of have to like keep your mouth shut and not ask a lot of questions. Um, but she's the character in the novel who pushes against that and, and and is showing all of the people in her life that that's not the way to to handle things and to go about things. So granddaddy has spent years keeping secrets, not talking to his daughter after a dispute. You know, they've just been estranged. Um, and KB comes along and she says to the reader that she's going to do what her family has taught her and she's not going to ask questions and she's going to just lay low. But that's not what she's doing at all. Right. She's, um, you know, she's asking all the questions and she just by her nature and her presence, she starts to get other people to do that. So ultimately, granddaddy tells KB secrets. Nia also tells KB secrets. So so Nia is the only person. KB is the only person that Nia tells the truth about what happened between her and daddy. Even mama talks to KB and tells her more than she's told Nia. So KB is supposed to represent this this innocence, this naivete, this genuine um, desire for healing that all of them feel at some point. And it causes them to to say things and to share and to uh, move in in these ways that they haven't been uh, previously. And then I, there are, there are two lines that I wanted to like talk about specifically or like, and how, cause I'm, I'm sure that you may like, well, maybe you won't remember writing them completely, but they, they hit really <laughs> hard for me. And so I wanted to ask you about them, but one was um, when KB talks about how mama's grief didn't leave any room for her grief. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought that that was a really, we've, we've 
talked about that a little bit, but it was just a really beautiful way of, of describing how a lot of times we don't make room for, for the young people in our lives to, to um, interrogate their trauma or their, their feelings and their ways of healing. Um, And I think we, we did get um, a little bit of mama opening up and she tells KB, you know, and sort of apologizes for it a little bit. Um, But if you have any, anything to say about like that idea that, um, because we, we all do that in, in the ways that we experience grief, like our, we're so concerned with our grief that we may not leave room for, for other people's or a way for us to hold space for theirs too. Right. Yeah. This, this book, uh, deals with grief a lot and it's interesting because I, I didn't ever say that it was dealing with grief a lot. I don't think outside of this line, there's not a lot of like, we're grieving, we're grieving, we're grieving. Um, but they all are, and they're all doing it very differently. Um, mama, you know, has had to go away to, uh, to, to grieve. Mia is withdrawing and, uh, wanting to focus on certain things. Uh, KB is, you know, she's, she's trying to fix everything. Um, she thinks that there is a way to solve it, to fix it for everyone. Um, and she's, you know, counting and she's and she's asking questions and she's picking up habits and anxieties that she didn't have before. Um, so they're all grieving in different ways. And I did want to point out that for KB in her experience, her grief is being overshadowed by her mothers and sisters because she can tell that there are things about this that they're experiencing that she is not experiencing. And it's because their relationships with daddy were more complicated. Um, you know, for KB, you know, she was definitely aware of some of the things that were going on, but she also had a, a pretty pure and loving relationship with her father. So for her, uh, you know, her her grief is is really built up around her thinking about these good memories with daddy and missing him a lot and, you know, wondering what's going to become of their family without him there, while Mia's grief, for example, also contains aspects of the trauma that she experiences with him that we learn about later in the novel and, um, you know, her complicated feelings about her mother's, you know, role in that or, you know, possible uh, complicitness, I guess, in that. Um, And Mama's grief, again, also has these other layers. So, yeah, I wanted to point that out that, Uh, And it doesn't even have to necessarily be, you know, the difference between adults and children, but just grieving in general, Um, the ways that our our grief overlaps, the way that the ways that our grief overshadows, um, all of these things are are very true. And the other one is, it is a, it is a sentence. It is a very powerful (laughs) sentence, but Uh it really, no, it is. (laughs) So it was, um, it's a little bit towards the end and we, we definitely won't, um, won't spoil the circumstances of it. But um, KB says that this experience that she just went through is too much to say, I know, because it was too much to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but even like coming from a young person, not who, who has only lived so many years of life. And then like reading that as, as an older person who has experienced more years of life, 
but yeah. to to put that sentence in the in the mouth of a of a young person who we think has not experienced a lot but we're never giving them the space to acknowledge the things that they've experienced or taking the time to hold their experiences and give them weight and value and um she experiences something very terrible and hard and like to to hear her articulate that yeah it was it was sort of it was almost like a little wake up call of remember to listen to young people yeah because they are they are experiencing so many things on a daily basis when you are not there to witness them um yeah yeah that was a a big part of what went into that line um is you know this is kind of the moment a, a moment for KB where she's just she's kind of of exhausted a bit yeah. with all that she's experienced and even trying to think about vocalizing it feels overwhelming to her. Um, and, you know, I think it touches on her, um, her vulnerability and her, uh, and her, her strength, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much to it, but absolutely uh, wanted to highlight this aspect of, of life, of childhood, of young adulthood, that all of these really heavy things can be going on. And even, even things, you know, maybe we'll know that something has happened, but we don't know how it's, how it's hitting for that person, how it's making them feel, how it hurts, how it impacts. Uh, So, you know, I honestly, I, I think I do remember writing that line and I was originally trying to articulate something and give her some words to say. And, uh, you know, I, I got really close to this character to the point where I felt that I could like hear, hear her voice in some ways. And I, I knew her voice and I, and I knew how she'd respond in a lot of situations. And as I was trying to force her to have words in that moment, that was pretty much like all I could get to. That's what, what came up was just, you know, this realization that she's, she's like, I can't even share this. It, it'd be so much to try to share it um, because, and she knows that because of what it feels like to, to endure it, to live through it. I, this is a, a question that I, I know the answer to, and you've said multiple times, but um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to say it in your own words about who you wrote this book for and, and who you want uh, this book to get into the hands of and how, how far and wide you want it to go and the people you want it to get to. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the really important things about writing about Black girlhood is that, you know, when you write about Black girlhood, you're writing stories that Black girls and and Black women can read and feel like really welcome and really accepted and really validated. And that's a huge part of of the work that I want to do. Uh, But also, uh, it's, it's maybe just as important for other people to read these stories and see this experience in this way, um, to see Blackness as it is and not as, you know, we might imagine it to be, um, to see, you know, the, the joys of it, the pains of it, the struggles, the smiles, the traditions, the families. Uh, you know, I wanted to write something that 
uh, that is, you know, very centered in blackness. And uh, at some points, uh, I, I started to feel afraid that it wouldn't be universal. And uh, I read an interview that Jasmine Ward did, and, and she was talking about you know, Black stories are universal. It's so interesting when, you know, people will say or assume that stories about Blackness, stories about Black families, stories about Black experiences or whatnot are not universal, as if only Black people can read these stories and, and find themselves in them. Um, and the one thing that I've been hearing from people who have re been reading this book so far and people who have been uh, connecting with the story, I've, I've been so... Um, humbled and excited to hear about how people are connecting with KB, um, how people are connecting with her voice and feeling for her and understanding her and seeing parts of themselves in her. And this is coming from people representing so many different walks of life, so many different identities. And that's the point, you know, KB's story is universal. You don't have to have experienced everything that KB experienced for it to, to feel that way. So yeah, I want everyone to read this story. I think it's a really important story, um, not because I wrote it, but because it's it's just what it is. Sometimes you might uh, you might find it um, slow, and it's slow on purpose. You know, there are moments where I wanted to slow down and just be in a moment to be in a moment of KB and her sister learning to to cook with their grandfather, and we just watched them do that. Um, to be slow in a moment of KB looking through a photo album and meeting her family members that way. And I just wanted to slow down and do that. Um, there's some trauma, there's some joy, you know, there's everything in between. So I just think it's a really important story um, all around. It it very much is. And it is, it just, it, I read it in like two days. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it like that slowness too. Like we need that. The world moves so fast. Yeah, absolutely. And to like, especially those those scenes where Granddaddy's teaching KB how to rinse collard greens and mm -hmm. how to um, do all these different things that they've never done. And when they're making right. pancakes and like just smaller, like life moves slow sometimes, especially when you're in a new place right. um, and you don't have a lot of other people around. You're trying to figure out what to do with yeah. your time. And one of the, I wanted to uh, save this for the end, but I wanted to talk about Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, what your, what your relationship with Anne of Green Gables is, if you have one and uh, how, how you decided to make that such a, a big influence on KB's life. Yeah. Uh, so spoiler alert. Anne of Green Gables was also my favorite book when I was growing up. <laughs> so I gave I gave my favorite book to KB. Yeah. And it felt very fitting because I get when I first put the mention of that book in the novel, I didn't think anything about it. I didn't think I was ever going to mention it again. I just needed to give her something to read in the car. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, she's reading Anne of Green Gables because that was my favorite book. And as after I put it in there, I just really started noticing all of these parallels. And I was like, wow, I bet KB is noticing these too, if this is what she's reading. And she's, you know, even as she's coming to understand granddaddy and she, you know, at some points thinks that he's, you know, she's like, okay, it's kind of like this person, is he kind of like this person, you know? And then she's got the, the situation going on with Mia 
and, you know, wanting to have this feeling of a, a close friend that she can share with and, you know, feeling misunderstood, asking lots of questions. Um, but there's there's slowness in Anne of Green Gables that I loved, right? I loved uh, feeling immersed in that world of seeing everything that Anne saw. And, um, you know, so I think that, you know, in some ways, this novel is is kind of playing around with that same concept. Um, and, you know, I think even in the end, uh, we return to Anne of Green Gables and KB is able to use that as a bookend to think about what all of this has meant to her and what she's taking away from it and what she's lost, but all that she's that she's gained. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I I gave KB a little bit of me and it ended up working out uh, really <laughs> well for her. So I'm, I'm happy for her and for me. <laughs> Well, we have a shelf full of copies of What the Fireflies Knew at Skylight on display with a link to this episode as well for when people uh, will get to see it and they can pick up their copies at Skylight Books. Thank you again so much to our guest, Kai Harris, for taking the time to chat with me today. It was such a pleasure and congratulations again on your debut novel. We are so excited to have it in the store and get it into more people's hands and to bring about a whole new generation of beautiful KBs. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.